Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, June 26th. This is episode 170, and I am Tony. And I am Dennis, and we are back, but we are not together. We are remote. I have a head cold, or I'm on the backside of a head cold. I feel a lot better today than I have the last couple of days. My sinuses are finally like, hey, you can be okay now. So just to be safe, I mean, it's not, I didn't have covid or anything like that it was just a head cold but you've got like work to do and stuff so you can't risk being sick you're an important person i'm heading out i'm heading out this evening out west so i have a three-day conference that i'm hosting and i thought well you know you should be on you shouldn't be contagious anymore if you're in your recovery phase but uh let's not take a chance on it because i'll probably get sick at the thing anyway so right i'm hoping not but you know how concrete is it is concrete because we, uh, no, you didn't get Concrete out of Texas. I, I did. did. Not. I, not COVID though. I tested five times. You tested so often that you were, that you've got scar tissue inside of your nose. My nose was bleeding the last two of them. Hey, it said scrape vigorously. Well, yeah, but you're not supposed to use like a fingernail or something. And then I've got a meeting, uh, and not as far away, but on Thursday back, back West, not as much West. And I was just like, oh my God, this week sucks. This week already sucks, but but you've been busy, 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 Tony. I have been uh, between my normal work stuff, my own personal uh, hobby stuff. Uh, we've been doing driver's ed with my oldest uh, and extra driving on top of the driver's ed, uh, the cross country uh, stuff still um, with me still walking as best as I can. I've got swimming lessons starting next week for the youngest. Uh, so it's just every day's got something going on. But I did get to teach my oldest how to change a tire since uh, she picked up a nail. Yeah. That's a, f- I mean, I'm trying to remember if I ever, I know I've done tires before. I, I'm trying to remember if I ever actually had any like help on how to do one. <laughs> I can't remember. I remember one time I wanted to change a tire and the, you know, I didn't have a breaker bar with me. I couldn't get the lugs off and I had to, I thankfully had a air compressor. So I was able to, it was a slow leak. So I was able to get home, but I was just like, Ugh. yeah, we, uh, so what, so what happened? Oh, we were out driving, uh, and I made her drive on some gravel roads, which she absolutely hated. And we'd apparently picked up, uh, looks like a big, it looks like a really big staple. Uh, and I noticed when we got home that the tire looked a little low, and then when we went out the next day, it was completely off the rim flat. So, oh wow, yeah, okay. Well, hey, good learning experience. You know, I I learned how to drive on gravel roads because I lived on one. Yeah, I think it's an important skill to have, and it also helped that I was able to take her out to busier two lane roads and get get some speed because she'd never she'd never been anywhere where she actually had to drive fast. I don't, I don't think she'd ever gotten into a vehicle up over, you know, like 35 or 40 at that point because all of our driving had been residential and in town and in parking lots and stuff. So we got out and we got doing, you know, 60s and stuff like that. So get her more comfortable with the drive-ins. Now, does she enjoy driving with you more or your, or your wife? The instructor. She, 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 she said it was easier to drive with the instructor. So, uh, wife bought a car and, and now she's gone from hating driving to loving driving and wants to drive all the time. So she's always driving off and doing stuff. It's always an adventure with her now. It is. It's the car does look nice. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a buy the cheapest piece of 
you can. And then when it falls apart by the next cheapest piece of you can kind of driver. But I can see the joy of having a nice vehicle as I make you bleep twice already in the first mm-hmm. seven minutes. Well, that's what happens when we're remote. So I can see the point of having a nice car. Mm-hmm. Well, the nicest thing I've had with my, because the last two vehicles I've purchased were not used, is there's so much less maintenance. So that's probably the big thing that I, with all my other vehicles, are, they all got to a point where I was like, if I was on an extended drive, I'd have to start wondering, well, what if this, what if this part breaks or what if this gives out and am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to have to find someplace? Am I going to have to call someone for a ride? And I like never really worried much about that with my, after I got a new vehicle, even when the, uh, one started to go out. Cause of course I drove it enough. My last one, I think I put about 230,000 on it. And, you know, it started to have issues after 100,000 and then a lot more issues after 200,000, but it was still really reliable. So it wasn't always like, oh, the alternator's out, which was like something that had to be done on all my other vehicles. Well, see, and that's something that's about the time I buy them is I think all of our I, I, I think like I think the last uh, I don't even know how many vehicles that I've owned all have over 200,000 miles on them. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like where they're at when I get them. So. Well, I I have not been doing as much. I have not been teaching any driving. I have not been buying any new vehicles. I haven't been at, having to bleep myself. It's been very very solid. I've I started a new game. I I guess it's probably arrived in other places as well, but Xbox finally got Fall Guys. So I've been playing Fall Guys. Isn't that that weird? So one where you're like a walking bean and you're like playing the TV show Wipeout. I say, wasn't that the one that was the like huge Twitch deal like last year or the year before, before Among Us took over? Yeah, it was the, yeah, it was the, it was the pandemic hotness and then Among Us usurped it. But I think Fall Guys was a, unlike Among Us, which had been out a few years, I think Fall Guys was a newer game. So it's on Switch now. I don't know if that was brand new or not. I saw some people discussing the latency and how they'd sort of solved issues with that on Twitch. It has full cross play, but yeah, it's free to play. So nice. You can get season passes and stuff if you want to, you know, you could buy outfits basically. But otherwise, yep, you're like in these groups of 60 and you can play it in duo mode, squad mode. So you play with three other people. You can play it by yourself. And the different modes are, are neat in the sense that like if you're in a squad mode with and I've done a few of those games where you're with four people and I just get grouped with them on like you might not finish a, a race or you might get you fall off, which would disqualify you. But if your team got through or someone on your team got through, you might get to go on because it depends on how fast they did it and stuff. So it it can help out. So yeah, they're like races. uh, There's puzzles. There's, uh, you know, jumping things, but all the buttons are, are are walk, jump and grab. It's been fun. So it's like baby's first battle Royale game. Yes, but it's hard. Oh gosh, like winning. I've I've won twice. And it, both of those instances were in group modes. Like one time our squad, the four-person squad won last night and then I was in a duo mode and won a couple days ago. That's it. I've never won on my own. I've gotten to the final round before, but yeah, because, you know, there'll be a big old beam and it'll just sweep you right off the map. And then you're cheering for a beam, bean guy that's dressed up like a pimp. 
And I'm just like, come on, pimp guy. Don't lose to the guy who looks like a piece of sushi. Pimp bean. Pimp bean. And pimp bean won, which means I won, even though I got wiped out like in 10 seconds. I consider it a moral victory. It's a moral victory. Yes. So before we move on to our segments, and we don't have a whole lot, at least not in pinball, we don't have a whole lot. Well, we got a big thing, but it's really the only thing to talk about. Uh, but we we had a couple emails, and one of them I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and cover now before we move into the pinball segment segment. And this is from Scott Goldberg, and this one's mostly targeting you, Tony. So I'm being targeted. Us. You are just dodge. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge an email. And he wrote, "Boys." The consistency, candor, and humor are appreciated. I never miss an episode. Recent highlights for me are when you two throw out the buzzwords of our times. Web 3.0, Tony. (laughs) NFTs. Blah, blah. The walking story you told this past episode was gold. I had to replay that part. Thank you for all the content. The friendship you share makes the podcast what it is. Well, thank you, Scott. Yeah, thank you very much. And and, and that... That I don't have a good walking story because I was the last time we, I was on the front side of getting this head cold. So I just kind of meandered slowly and it wasn't hot because it was like the a front had just come through. So I don't have a good story. It's slow fat guy wanderings at that point. I mowed yesterday. That was, it was hot out and I didn't like it. I probably should have, but I was like, you know what? It is like. My sinuses are just absolutely full, so uh, I'm not going to do it. It was enough to go out and change the tire on the car yesterday. Yes. Well, I didn't want to, but I thought, uh, it's going to actually be, because it wasn't that tall. But I thought, I'm not going to want to do it when I get back from the conference. And that's what broke me. I was like, I got to do it now, because I'll feel really pressured to get it done this next week. And I'm not going to want to do it. Even if I don't get sick, I'm not going to want to do it. I'm going to be too tired. It's time to hire a company. You know what? I'm too cheap still, but I might reach that point. You just got to just I, you get the, the. I'm one slipped disc away from reaching that point. You get the the random guy who comes over and mows the yard every every week. Yeah, where are the kids? Aren't there supposed to be like kids going or pushing their mower around, being like, "For twenty bucks, Mister, I'd sure like to take care of your swell yard." Isn't that how they talk? Well, I don't think 20 bucks would buy them enough gas to mow your yard at this point. I did see this was a, this was months ago on on Reddit. I saw someone share this uh it was a doorbell cam and it were these two two kids. I, I we're talking like maybe uh 11 to 13 would be what my guess on their age. And it was the winter and they were going around offering to shovel driveways. And this person, they go, Hey, will you, can we shovel your driveway for you? And the, and the woman who answered the door goes, yeah, yeah, no, I I'd love to hire you to shovel the driveway. And they go, great. That's awesome. And then she's like, how, how about 20 bucks? Uh, And they're like $10 each. And she goes, yes, yes. Let me, let me go ahead and get the money. And she walks off and the little doorbell cams recording. And this one kid's like, because we're effing, he didn't say effing though. We're effing rich. <laughs> and the other kid goes, yeah, these rich people, they don't want to shovel their driveways. They want people to do it for them. They've got all the money. And this other one's go, let's do a really good job. Cause she's so rich. And the guy's like, yeah, 
Except one of them made fun of the other one for being too short or something. There's a whole kid thing going oh, on. Oh, yeah. They were just, I'm like, where are they? I'll give them 20 bucks to mow. That's probably like exploit. That's uh, size of my yard. That's probably exploitation. I give them thirty. I was gonna say your 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 yard is like huge, especially the backyard that you can't even get a rider into. So whoever whoever you hire has to be able to take a push mower back there because you can't even get a rider through the back into the back. You know, life is sacrifice, and that can be their sacrifice. All right. So anyway, that's all I have for you. So let's go ahead and go to pinball, Tony. I know you've been looking forward to this because we've been talking about this via the messenger tool online for ever since the day it was announced. Which was the day after our last episode because- I think it was Tuesday, Tuesday wasn't it? Tuesday after our However, it is- I'm not sure when the stuff, le- the, the stuff leaked. I, th- I don't know. Anyway, it happened really recently after- the last episode but what can you do that's our fate we we know this we knew this going in yep i put out i put together a beautiful lovely uh instagram post with all of my thoughts and dreams about it and then there was so much background noise that you could barely hear what i was saying and i was unable to get it cleaned up enough to make it worth posting because instead of using my normal uh, mount that I have that for my phone, my phone was just kind of propped up and it was just, you could vaguely hear me in the background and then just the motor and vibration. Yeah. So I never got to hear it, but I heard it was good. It was gold. It was absolute gold. It's gold. You were, you were weaving some gold. That's yep. a Zach mini expression I, that he just weaves gold. Well, we'll weave some gold now. Tony. We'll do our and best. That, so for anyone who has not listened to any other pinball podcast, since this announcement what is wrong with you and are, yes you're going to be shocked to learn that jersey jack pinball unveiled their latest game toy story four <laughs> <laughs> pinball i still can't uh yeah yeah well don't you worry we'll, we'll we'll discuss that but let's hit some highlights and i do have a link in the show notes for people that want to read up on this it's to this week in pinball's deep dive on toy story four pinball so mm-hmm. there are two two versions limited edition and a collector's edition the design is pat lawler the lead software engineer who i believe was responsible for most of the rules is joe katz as usual the artwork is done by john yowsey that's who pat always likes to have do his artwork pricing the limited edition model which is the more common model and they will make they can produce up to five thousand of those is set at $12,000 US. The collector's edition, which they doubled the run count from Guns N' Roses to 1,000 units, is $15,000 US. The limited editions, they had already built a number of them and have already shipped them out. The collector's editions are slated to start being produced at some time this fall. They all have uh, the official licensed art package. They all have a 27-inch back box LCD They all include a 10-inch sort of tablet-style, what they call carnival game LCD in the playfield or above the playfield, kind of where the ramps are in the upper left. There is custom speech done by Buzz and Woody. That's a little misleading. They did get Tim Allen to do custom callouts. Woody is custom callouts are done by Tom Hanks's brother, which I guess uh, Tom's brother does all of the marketing, uh, like toys and stuff, like all the product stuff. 
supposedly they sound the same. So most people are, are cool with that. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, that's not a world I'm aware of. I, I heard uh, some of the voicing and it sounded like Tom Hanks to me. So it, it was, it was good enough of a sound like to fool me. There are the carnival games that I mentioned uh, that appear on the LCD in the play field area. There are 12 games included. One of the pinball, there's a video pinball, virtual pinball mode called Tiki Party Pinball. Um, the hot rails, the lighting effects on the sides that were in Guns N' Roses, they brought those back. Uh, I'd say the main toy is probably this jump ramp that lifts up and it's flanked by a couple of uh, individually up and down, I guess, uh, automatically controlled posts. Uh, but it's a jump ramp that you can launch the ball off of. There's also a spinning wheel over on the left-hand side of the game. They brought back one of the Hobbit Bash toys and made it Gabby Gabby, which I guess is uh, the villain from the show. I don't know. I've not seen Toy Story 4. They call those little pop-ups as I look through this list the Benson pop-ups. I guess that's because of the they represent the ventriloquist, which I assume that's his name. There are some super spinners. I believe those are opto spinners. Uh, there is a RGB LED marquee stunt deck. There's a ball diverter setup going on with the ramps and stuff. There's a three ball ball lock with a drop target over on the left-hand side near the spinner. And then a few other things in the games is there are some stand-up forky targets on the right. It's got four pop bumpers. It's got a saucer. It's got a scoop. It's got one mini flipper in the upper right. And it's got the two primary flippers. It comes with a shaker motor and Visiglass. It's, of course, got the built-in camera like we're used to with uh, JJP games and a few other little bits and pieces. Collector's Edition has a red powder coat chrome armor. Uh, it's got rad cows. It's got 450, over 450 individually controlled RGB lights. And it's got a Pixar Lex Luxor. I don't know. It's got some sort of ball shooter knob that's associated with Pixar. The LE version only has over 300 individually controlled RGB lights and it uses a blue powder coat. So I'd say that's the. That's the main stuff. Uh, there are a few other things uh, involving the collector's edition as well, but I don't uh, I don't see a point in really going through them, other than it also has additional custom speech by Bo Peep, the Bo Peep character. Ooh, fancy. So, Tony, there's so much, so much here, and, you know, it's not yet clear to me whether or not we're going to get one of these on location. I'm sure we'll end up playing it at a show or something at some point, but... For the time being, it's important to note to the listeners that we have not played this game. Correct. Uh, we've not. I've not done anything that would be considered uh, location pinball in a while. Actually, uh, last month, I think. Yeah not not since not since May. Uh, things have just been not worked out that way. But uh, yeah, sure. I I hope. We get a chance to play it. I'll be 100% honest. I'm not that interested. I was interested in the concept of a Toy Story pinball machine. And I think like a lot of people, uh, I felt, if anything, betrayed as it drops this Toy Story 4. Betrayal. That's a strong sort of trail. Toys, the Toy Story franchise is such a big cultural touchstone and it has so much going for it then they turned around and dropped its toy story four, the one very few people watched and is by far the lowest rated 
and some fans absolutely hated it. Uh, it's just like, ow. It's like, could you not get the uh, licensing to do the entire franchise or to do just the first game? Was the only way to get it was to do four, which is even worse because it didn't come out until three years after four came out. Well, and, and you know, my initial guess would be that they thought it would come out sooner, closer to the film. But of course, we we discussed that when Guns N' Roses dropped and it was like, um, it, Guns N' Roses ended up coming out just a few months after when Toy Story, the movie Toy Story 4 came out. So I was a little surprised that that was the order they went in. I'm assuming that the Toy Story 4 game, for whatever reason, was just not ready yet. I mean, part of, I mean, at this point, with the Hot Rails going in and that Hot Rails same, seemed very GNR oriented, I'm guessing that at least changes were made if it was not yet like let's say not even very far along. It was just sort of surprising to me, but it is it, it is surprising that how could it I mean there's not like there's anything that feels to me in this game that should have delayed it 3 years when they'd been talking about it for so long already. Now, have you seen this movie? I saw parts of it. I've only seen the first Toy Story movie. I haven't seen anything I've else. seen all of them except for this one. I've only seen parts of this one when my kids were watching it, but my kids are old enough that they don't really care about Toy Story. It's n- Oh, they didn't they didn't run and say, "Daddy, please buy us a $12,000 pinball machine." No. It's it, Bob, Toy Story Bob, uh, is not a touchstone for my children. Uh Okay. So, I did not have to deal with explaining to them that $12,000 for uh, a pinball machine. I mean, I just come on. Toy Story Four. It's let's, just let's so start bad. With well, we've we've started with the thoughts on the license, and I, and I concur with you. I think I actually I don't know anyone who doesn't agree that this would have been more appealing broadly to just about anyone if it had either been all four of the movies, the first three of the Toy Story, the trilogy, or just the first movie. Right. All three of those seem universally agreed upon. Even people who love this game seem to universally agree that all three of those licensing scenarios are better than doing just Toy Story 4. The split seems to be some people think doing Toy Story 4 alone was still worth going for the license. I wonder if there would, I and by wonder, I, I speculate that there would have been a better license pick if they truly could not get original toy story incorporated in some capacity i agree i i i think if you went in trying to get them to get a licensing deal and you could only get toy story 4 i think they would have been better off walking away yeah i just think there's there have been something else in the disney pixar stable that they i think could have fully gotten the rights to that would have would have worked better. yeah i agree uh but then again this is pinball and people will spend money on it regardless. Even if they don't like it, they're going to spend $12,000 for the lowest level of a game that is not. Let's discuss. Let's discuss that. Now, here's a quote from someone. I can't I can't say who because I can't say where I've read this quote. But this is a true quote that someone I know wrote about after they played Toy Story 4. They wrote. And it's not Zach. I'll tell you that, too. They wrote. Toy Story 4 is a winner for the common folk. You're all crazy. This is going to sell well 100%. For the common folk. Exactly. 
The common folk who can drop $12,000. You are too far down the collector rabbit hole if you think common folk spend five figures for a pinball machine. That's just, I mean, that is so out of touch. It's like, it's like, like, if you call your boss, because we've been talking about new cars, if you call your boss because your car's broke down, he's like, well, why don't you just drive your other car? I mm-hmm. mean. Well, why don't you drive your German car? It, it's just, <laughs> there is just no context. <laughs> the, the, it, it is just such a difference of thought uh, and a different way of looking at things that, especially with where we are right now, uh, I paid $4.65 a gallon for gas yesterday, uh, when I got gas. And to think that the people who are doing that, the common folk who are doing that so they can go to work and, and, and pay all their bills also have $12,000 just sitting in their pockets to buy a subpar pinball theme. And so let's, cause obviously, and who knows what the, the the person had their motivations and perhaps they, they regret now choosing the phrase common folk because I'm now using it as a weapon. But even hardcore collectors had to take a step back on this because of what you pointed out to the to a lot of people, even if they love Toy Story, Toy Story 4 is a subpar theme compared to other themes that are readily available. But here's the analysis that I I cannot help with. And I could I totally see, and we discussed this on the pinball show, Zach, Zach Minnie's perspective about if a game's not going to lose much value, though, in his view, he doesn't care if he's paying eight thousand dollars for a game or twelve thousand dollars for a game, because he'll sell it and get his money back. So, you know, it's a it's a wash to him. But and I'm like, I, I acknowledge that. But Obviously, there there are two factors. One is on the on the flipper sort of side. It's still you have to have a certain amount of liquid capital to be able to buy a twelve thousand dollar game. A lot of people don't just sit around with twelve thousand dollars readily available to spend. So, but they might have five thousand. You see, for fun stuff. So that's that's where it's a question about how much cash are you tying up in games. That's part of it. That's but to you know that's everyone's own individual experience. Here's the thing: setting that aside because we don't know if the value will hold long term or not. Yeah, I would guess the CES probably will because the true LEs from other companies seem to be holding fairly well. It's still something of a gamble. Of course, we don't know if things always will stay up or if they'll fall down. But here's what for me, Tony, on pricing, what I end up going back to and is let's look at the LE. So I'm looking at the pictures here on this week in pinball of the playfield of the LE. And now I'm meant I'm mentally right now, and I'm sure you can do this too. I'm mentally looking at the playfield of Godzilla Premium, which retails MSRP nine thousand dollars. I don't understand why I would pay another three thousand dollars for less of a game. Oh yeah, no kidding. I mean there is it is a very empty playfield, uh comparatively. And I don't, it's like, it's like the op. it's like opposite day. It is. This is always a, like, people would look at Waz and be like, look at all wizard Waz is wizard of Oz for people that don't know. And people would be like, what? Look at all these mechanical features. And now I look at this and I'm just like, it looks like a stern pro. It does look like a stern pro with, with lots more LEDs. I mean, I, I'm, let me be fair. It's got lots more LEDs, but it's like, what, what, what are our features here? We got a, a tablet. Which no one cares about. I, I 
I, I, the fact that they put a tablet above the screen and they put virtual pinball on it is just, it's kind of funny to me. <sighs> it makes me laugh. Makes me tummy laugh. Oh, 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 oh. I wanted to play Zen Studios in my yeah. JJP. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me. I, 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 but I'm just like mechanical. I'm not going to do the whole what people used to do, a coil counting, but I'm just like, you look at Toy Story 4 and I see mechanical features of note. If you want to count the tablet, even though it's not a mechanical feature, that's up, it's up to y'all. But we have the jump ramp, which I think looks pretty cool. Yeah, that little jump ramp looks cool. We got the Gabby Gabby Bash toy. Well, I hate that. I hated the trolls in Medieval, and I hated the Hobbit monster, so I'm really not keen on that. But hey, it is a mechanical toy. And then there's a spinny wheel, right? Yeah. And then there's like one drop target over by that spinny wheel for the for the ball lock thing. If you want to talk about that. But then let's just think about Godzilla Premium. Thousands of dollars less. It's got a Mecha Godzilla with a magnet and a tummy magnet do tummy ball grab. It's got a ramp that rotates for a standing drop or standing target bank to be the shield for Mecha Godzilla. So that's a pretty cool mechanical feature. Mm-hmm. It's got a collapsible bridge ramp, which changes how the ball behaves. That's a cool mechanical feature. Of course, it's got the Newton ball magnet grab to feed off of that uh, off of that left side orbit to the upper flipper. That's really cool. And then, of course, oh yeah, a collapsing building. And again, I know it's a different game, but it's thousands of dollars less. And that's where I struggle on the pricing. I look at this, and you can't. I'm sorry, it's it's not. It's not 2012 anymore. It's 2022. Sticking in 300 LEDs does not impress me. Yeah, that is kind of crazy to me. I mean, that many putting LEDs as a selling point on a game in this day and age is dumb. I can go get LEDs and fill my kids room with LEDs. Actually, one of my kids does have LEDs all over the place in their room. It's no big deal. They're normal now. And I get that someone has to program the light show, but you know, if we're doing like a cascading light effect, if you're using 20 bulbs or 200 bulbs, the cascade program effect is the same. Right. I just there's not $3,000 worth of LED programming in this. Let's be honest about it. So that's my struggle. Uh, most people don't seem to be arguing that either. I think most people are just like JJP saw people flipping games and they're trying to make sure that money isn't being left on the table. I just, I, it's, I just think it's really interesting that this company has has seemed to have gone with the decision that where they, I think they've always been, but I think they're just committing to it now that they're like, this is for high end collectors. Other people need not apply. They're the Jaguar. I guess. I guess. I don't. I. I mean. I don't know. I don't know. It was interesting that now that we, you know, we're on the back end of the pandemic and operators and the locations are back. I mean, this. This was the one they decided to drop the standard and. And I don't. That actually probably was smart to drop the standard edition because I heard they were selling like dogs. They just that they weren't moving units, but. When you looked at like GNR standard compared to the other two, it, 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 you really had to be willing to settle. You know, it might not have been that bad on Wonka, but it was on GNR. And I don't know. Anyway, the pricing. So the pricing, I think, is a is a huge barrier to a lot of people. I th- I just think it it's just a bridge too far for a lot a lot of folks. I think so, and I think it's going to make it a problem for operators. 
uh, because yeah, I don't expect many operate other than those that flex about having all the, you know, the ones that were already buying premiums right. and LEs for their location, which there are some, there are some that do that. There, are, Yeah, no, there are some, but, but most general normal operators. And that's a thing. This is a game that seems to be designed for a certain type of player designed for uh, fans of Toy Story 4. Uh, but they, are not going to be able to play this game because there's no, it's not going to be operating anywhere. Nobody's going to be be able to afford to operate it. It's it's interesting because it in so many ways, seen other than price, really seems like it's a very operator friendly game. It does. It's a great location theme. I would say, you know, okay, k- kids will know Toy Story. They're not going to have money to buy a twelve thousand dollar game, but they would have money to put money into one. I I I've heard it is very um inexperienced gamer friendly is that a nice way to long put ball it? times yes long ball times uh relatively approachable code in fact i guess it was it was noted by the team that they wanted a lot of people to be able to get to the wizard or at least the first side was i guess you do a side as woody and a side as buzz and the idea was though that people uh, without high skill would be able to get to get through one of those paths and from initial reports that seems quite true yes because the high-level players were, like, beating the game both sides the first day. Right. It's like ball two, or game two. And and that's not necessarily a problem. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because most of the time on games that seem targeted to the homeowner, they've wanted to make it so that it's a journey to be able to, quote-unquote, beat the game. Uh, and I do think this might hurt, uh, like, hurt in the sense that I think there will be some people that they sell their games once they quote unquote beat them. And if you're beating this game really fast while it's still in production, they're going to be more popping up used faster than there would otherwise. So there's a little bit of a market effect perhaps. But again, with Jersey Jack noting that in the first day they sold out all the CEs and made like $30 million, I guess it doesn't matter. Right. Well, you knew that was going to happen. And oh, yeah, the CEs. No, that doesn't. Granted, they, I mean, they direct sold one tenth, the rest were just sold to distributors. Right. And then the uh, question always comes up because they've not even started making them is what is going the market going to be like that? Because remember when people suddenly started dumping Halloween positions for less than they paid for them? Uh, the same thing is always possible in any game, in from any manufacturer. Sure. I, I don't think it will be like that for this game because, because the one thing, you, you, you people who hate the price, people who hate the theme, uh, people who don't think it's good bang for the buck, the one thing I have seen almost universal praise for is that it does shoot well. Like, it's Lawler. He he executes, uh, to a lot of people, it's Lawler's greatest hits. It's Gophers plus Wonka or whatever. But, but even as easy as to get through the code, that geometrically it is enjoyable to shoot and that is not the case for a lot of people when it comes to halloween halloween is just seen by a lot of people as a bad game this seems to be seen as a good game that is way too much money yeah and i think that could be a very valid way to look at it yeah it's just the weird the weirdness is it's been a long time since we've seen people have a have a good game but it also be seen as really, really easy. I, I think the last example everyone would probably cite would be Monsters. Like geometrically, Monsters is a very well-respected game, but people could not get past the shallow code on it. 
Yeah, and well, and this is, as I recall, this launched with 1.0 code, supposedly. It's it's basically feature complete, is my understanding. I don't know the version number, but but yeah, I mean, they've done a couple updates, I guess, since it initially came out. Like, I think one was to integrate the score bits or something about the score bit, and then there was some other, I don't remember what the other thing was. But yeah, like all the modes and stuff, my understanding, are in there. I, I hope people don't go around. This was a silly, it would be as silly now as it was with Munsters, but if there are people hoping like, oh, well, maybe they'll add all like more wizard modes and stuff. It's like, um, why? It's exactly what they want it to be. We don't have to like what it is. I don't mind that they made it easy. I, I found it humorous just to hear people, you know, buying this game and then immediately winning it. Right. But, you know, that's amusing to me. It's not... It's not actually necessarily a defect, you know, it was, I, I think there was a lot of sense when Stern did monsters because there were a lot of people that really respected Iron Man. Iron Man was a pretty shallow game. I mean, you could say, well, Iron Man was basically unbeatable because of the way to get the one do or die. The ultra hard do or die was basically, it required you to do it all on one ball and was near impossible, but but, you know, most people would see all the other aspects of the game, the achievable aspects, pretty quickly, even though the game was hard. Right. You know, it had a hard layout, but it was not deep code. Uh, in this case, you've got a, a a gentler layout and not particularly deep code, but deeper code than Iron Man. I don't know if it's deeper than Munsters or not. You know, I never finished Munsters. Yeah. So It'll be interesting to see. I, I do want to play it uh, because I have heard about how well it shoots. I just think it's a disappointing overall uh, entry. Yeah, I just, I think everyone, because we'd known it was Toy Story for so long, to find out it ended up just being this one slice of Toy Story turned a lot of people off. And then the price, of course, was going to alienate. No matter, even if it was all the Toy Stories, the price was going to alienate a ton of people. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing is the price is something that I knew it would be up there, but I did not expect where it's at. I I knew they'd raise off of GNR because of inflation. I did not expect like the I mean, how I don't even know. I don't remember how much more the collectors how many thousands more the collectors edition is versus GNR, but they also doubled the CE run. But they sold them. I mean, even if it's through just to distributors, they sold them all. It's it, you know, financially, these are probably good moves for the company. It's just, you know, from a collector aspect which is a player aspect, you know, I just don't think I'm going to get to play this until Texas or something. Yeah. Because I can't imagine an operator buying this in our area. Maybe a collector will loan one to an operator. I mean, maybe they'll succumb and hope that they can get their money back on it um, and buy, you know, I don't know. I don't want to speak for any of the area operators, but, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it makes it harder to get access to the pricing. That's the problem. It does. It very, it very much does. And, and, and can we talk for just one second about just how freaking horrible that topper is? You know, I have, uh, I looked at the topper like twice. It is literally just a box with a bunch of fiber optic wires coming out, like the little fiber optic light up tree yes. that you had oh, well, uh, that, you, yes, that you'd like have in your room tree. in the nineties, the, the little just direct fibers and it's all, ooh. Oh God, it's so terrible. It's so bad. I honestly, in my mind, this is the worst topper or it's not the worst topper, but it is a worse topper than the ones where it's just the plastic standees. I think so. Mm. 
Don't know. It sure is fireworky. I guess it's it's big super specials. People are happy, happy. Well, regardless, congratulations though to Jersey Jack for putting out a new game. I do hope to play it because, like I said, I hear it shoots well. It's just not the theme that anybody wanted. It almost was. It almost was. Okay. Well, I think that's enough of Toy Story, and we're almost done with pinball. The only other thing to do is Rumor Corner. Rumor Corner. Ding dong. So this episode's Rumor Corner is not a brand spanking new rumor. This is, again, one others have probably heard because I've obviously heard it. I've heard it from multiple places at this point. And hey, they can't all be brand new unless I just make up all the rumors all the time, which would just be goofy. So here's the rumor, Tony. Stern Pinball. Purportedly, they have the license for He-Man Masters of the Universe and that Jack Danger is the designer of it. What are your thoughts? Wow, that's a lot to take in. Um, I mean, my initial thought is it's not He-Man 4, so there's that. There is that. Is is it the new He-Man show that just came out like earlier this year or late last year? Or is it the original He-Man in the Masters I, Universe? I have not heard. Is it? Here's what I'm, is it, here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm hoping, Tony. Because this might play into what you're about to say. We'll see. I remember seeing a post on social media where Jack Danger said he wanted to make pinball weird again. He-Man is not weird. Not at all. And, unless they do the live action movie. Oh, man. Yes. That'd be so Dolph bad. Lundgren. Yes, I know. Why would Imagine they do it, that? Though. I'm not saying they would, but it would be the weirdest thing they could do with He-Man. Would it not? Why would they do that to themselves? It would be a weird thing would. to do. I don't think they would. But I'm just saying, Jack wanted to do something weird. Trying to salvage something out of that movie, that's weird. That, that would be weird. That would be weird, because I don't think you could really salvage very much out of that movie. <laughs> uh, not at all. But holy, mm. Mm, I just, wow. I, I, I don't I mean, know. I really, I I'm had just, He-Man toys as a kid. I don't. I, had, I don't know if I'd be into this or not, though. I'm honestly, I'm wore out of all of the nostalgia. Says the guy watching stuff. Stranger Things. I haven't watched Stranger Things in weeks. Not since I finished it last time. <laughs> but the thing is, is, is I like stuff that's done well, but I don't know. If He-Man just feels like such a, a stretch. I, I mean, I loved He-Man. I was one of the biggest He-Man fans, and even I don't really reference back to He-Man when I think back to it. Uh, uh, I, 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 when I think back to the kids, even though I had tons and tons of He-Man stuff, my primary thought back to shows I watch as a kid is Transformers, G.I. Joe, Silverhawks, and stuff like that. I re- and I also remember a lot of the shows that lasted like a season and I thought got just completely robbed because they were way better than they uh, were treated as. Well, if it is He-Man and it is the original cartoon, they if he wants to try and make it weird, we can't ever make it as weird as the movie. But, Correct. But he could put in 
a what's going on mode based off that YouTube. <laughs> That's the other option. That would be weird. That that would definitely be weird. Uh, <laughs> um, are you not remertained, Tony? I mean, I'm uh, rumor curious. You're rumertained. You meant to say you're rumertained. <laughs> well, what we need to be tamed on now is video games, Tony. Video What's going games? on in the world of video games? So much has happened in the world of video games. I'm not going to talk about most of it, but... There was still a bunch of stuff. Uh, immediately after we recorded our last episode, I stayed at your house for what I thought was going to be a, you know, 30 or 45 minute Xbox Live event. Um, yeah. And it turns out to yeah. be have been an hour and a half. And well, they do own all the companies. They, yeah, that's true. And I should have thought about that beforehand, that they own everything. So, and they're still only the third largest. Uh or will be when it's approved. But, uh, so we stayed and watched that, and there was a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not actually talking about a whole lot of them because most of them are too far from release, uh, because they're all scheduled for release in the next 12 months. And, uh, no surprise, almost everything's coming out on Game Pass because that is where Microsoft is leaning at the majority of its time and effort. But there was a lot of interesting uh, stuff there, uh, including a much deeper look at um, No Man's Sky 2. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, No Man's Starfield. Uh, <laughs> I make the joke, but but honestly, I was just in show so shocked. As as they just kept talking about Starfield, and I'm just sitting here going, haven't I already sat through this presentation one time? I'm pretty sure I've been here before. Uh, I'm sure it'll be better than No Man's Sky's initial launch. Well, no, it, it is Bethesda, and they launched yeah, bad. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be sure of anything. We'll have to see. It'll be weird. I was most disappointed uh, with the Bethesda side of it, though. That even with it being an anniversary of Fallout, they didn't announce anything Fallout related other than more Fallout 76 stuff. Yeah, I guess after the fact, they made a statement that the next Fallout game would be done, but it's going to be done after the next Elder Scrolls. Right. And the next Elder Scrolls game was them say, throwing, hey, throw a pretty picture of some stuff and say Elder Scrolls 6 uh, at was that last year's E3 or two years yeah, ago E3? Yeah. I'm starting to think a new Fallout might be close to like 2028 or beyond. Right. I figured we'll get the next Fallout sometime around the time we're actually living Fallout. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, the other big announcement, the one that was probably in my mind the big, big announcement based upon the reactions online, Kojima is making a game for Xbox. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, nothing seemed to upset people more than that. It's like, it was and I was all like, don't you all have Kojimas? It was, I, <laughs> I, I've seen so much hate, so much betrayal, oh, so much. How could he oh, do this like, to us? No, he belongs to Sony. Right. And he's even, he's even come out recently and said, no, no, we're, we're still, we're, we're still doing stuff with Sony. I'm just making a game for Microsoft now. And people are just like, it's like, like Bane 
for blood. They're just so upset about it. This is like, it, it came off like if the next Uncharted came out on Game Pass. Right. It is. It was just, I was like, what the, when did this, it's, they, they don't have a first party relationship. They get along clearly and he's still doing stuff with them. I just, I was just surprised how visceral it was. Well, that was my surprise because I don't recall them ever having anything seen as, I mean, yeah, Death Stranding was a, a, a PlayStation exclusive, but that didn't mean that Kojima Productions was a PlayStation exclusive. And I don't get where people took it that way, that he would only ever make for PlayStation and that uh, it was so weird. And I, when I saw the thing, it was like, interesting, he's going to make something weird and insane like he always does because that's his brand. And I didn't think anything else about it. But when I started reading stuff online, you would swear that Kojima had walked up to somebody's house and shot their pet. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's a dog killer now. That is the kind of response. It's like you go to that website, does the dog die? And the answer is for that live, yes, Kojima shot him. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, that one that one was just was uh I was surprised. I mean, I just of all the things to get worked up uh, worked up over. Yeah. Okay. It's like yeah, and other than that, there were a lot of interesting looking games, not just there, but in that time spot that would normally have been taken up by E3, all the companies uh, made did major lives. And there was even a, a PC Gamer Live that was done, uh, mm-hmm. which had the, the E3 people come out and say once again that E3 will be back next year. And uh, I don't know. The, all these things did real well without having to pay the money required them to pay to get into E3. They all did very well. So I think that this could have been a really bad thing for E3 this time around. Probably. We'll see how it goes. But beyond just that weekend's of sheer enjoyment and interest, we have so many other interesting things that have gone on. Dice. Makers of Battlefield had been asked about some other side projects, games like Mirror's Edge uh, and the like, and they say that they are fully committed to Battlefield, and they have put all non-Battlefield projects on the back burner, and they are committed to Battlefield 2042, and that reports that the development team has been reduced to maintenance levels and is in full-on abandoned ship mode are patently false. Mm. They, they, they stand behind 2042 and they will make 2042 the game that is expected to be. Oh, so are they finally going to get rid of operatives and bring back in the classes? <laughs> Cause that's what it would take. It is. And, and you know, they're not. They're no, they're not. They already made a game that people who play Battlefield didn't want. Right. It feels like playing Rainbow Six Siege, except you're running everywhere. Yeah, it is definitely a negative for them, and it's probably in their best interest to cut their losses and concentrate mm-hmm. on other things. The fact that they are back uh, uh, backburnering everything that doesn't say Battlefield on the box is kind of sad. Yeah, I I just don't. 
You know, here here's the thing. I'm I have to I won't blame you, but you you kind of fall into partial blame. And that is Final Fantasy 14. See, Final Fantasy 14 has done more damage to the video game industry than anything else because it makes people believe they can save a dead project. It does. And and it it does it by having people think that it can get better and by providing uh 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 fun story and an interesting story and characters that people actually like. And most AAA titles just don't have the time or money uh, once they get done spending everything on bells and whistles uh, and, you know, uh, retreats for the executives and spa days for the managers to spend money on things like story or characters because they think, well, I can't put microtransactions on something like that. So let's just make another deathmatch game. Yeah. I, it's, I, I think a lot of them may also forget like the life cycle, uh, from the developer standpoint as well on the reform of final fantasy 14. It wasn't a bunch of memos coming out saying, oh, we're not in, you know, we haven't reduced it to maintenance mode. We're committed to doing something. No, they came out on stage, bowed to everyone and cried at their failure. Yeah. And they said, we've failed. Yes, they did. You. Where is, uh, where is, where's Dice's, where's their tears? I don't taste their tears. And you never will because they'll never say something They don't taste very sorry to me. Well, then they're not really sorry, are they? Hmm. No, I don't think they're sorry. They don't care. All they want is to get their, uh, they need to get microtransactions back up. The, uh, uh, speaking of Final Fantasy, uh, it has been announced for sure that Final Fantasy 16 is going to be taking place in a more fantasy like setting. Okay. Then the more re, all the more yeah, recent Final Fantasy. 15 was all kind of, yeah, it was like, let's drive in a car. Yeah. Bro trip. Yeah, it was basically like road trip. The I actually liked 15, except the co- I never really understood that like the combat wasn't fun for me. It wasn't bad. It was just like, I don't know. The tutorial didn't seem to do a very good job explaining to me exactly how to maximize my combat. So it was just mostly I could just wail on everything and win. So it didn't matter. But anyway. Yeah. No, 16 is supposed to be going back to the more traditional uh, type, actual fantasy, fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I would like that. Is there any Activision Blizzard news? Oh, surely you, not. Surely not. No, they are. There is. They they had their shareholder meeting, and oh, the upsets that came out of it. No, no upsets came out of it. Exactly what you thought was going to happen happened. The entire board was held to their positions, including Bobby. Uh, no surprise Bobby. there, and it was it, it was like I I don't even know the percentages, but it was a complete walk. It was like five hundred and sixty six million or whatever thousand votes to like 68 it it, it, it it wasn't even close uh the interesting things that did come out is um around the same time they released a um investigation activision blizzard investigated themselves to see where their her issue with their widespread harassment issues and everything were and they found that there's no widespread harassment. There's no issues. There's nothing that's not been 
reported or has been handled wrong. Since 2016, there's been nothing, just minor, minor things that have all been 100% correctly uh, handled. And all of this is just from an overzealous uh, person uh, with state of California putting a suit out. Please, please ignore the $18 million settlement we had to put out, uh, to the federal government. In addition to this ongoing lawsuit, none of that's real. So they investigated themselves and they found themselves did nothing wrong. Hmm. Well, I'm sure glad they looked into themselves. Uh, and talking about looking into themselves. Another thing that came out of the shareholder meeting is the shareholders voted to approve uh, uh, the release of an annual abuse, harassment, and discrimination report, uh, to which upper management immediately replied that, well, this was a non-binding vote and we'll consider it, but we're not required to do this. Okay. (laughs) I, you know, they're probably right that it was a non-binding vote. I just think it's interesting. I just, again, I try and... I try and visualize what would happen if I, to my governing board, after they did a vote for me to do something, then told them, you do know that this is not binding and I will do what I want. Oh, I'm sure it would turn out absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm going to stick this in a total aside. I had a, I had a, a work meeting. I have you know several recurring meetings, of course, as you do. And uh, one of them, uh, one of my board members is on the same group. It's a team we work with with the state. And they live out in a very rural part of Kansas, very rural at the Colorado border. And we were in this virtual meeting and she had to step away. And then she came back. She's like, sorry, they had a plane crash, a plane. The the pilot was fine, like, but something happened with the plane and he had to, he had to put touch down in a field. And I... All, all I said, Tony, was, oh, so will your county now just like make that field a new municipal airport? <laughs> Is that just like what you guys do? And she just looked at me a little Zoom and just goes, Dennis, you're an ass. <laughs> and like half the people online looked like I think they thought they were really scared <laughs> that something was going to happen to me. And I, I, of course, being me, Tony, said, so does this mean I'm now ex-executive director? <laughs> and she goes, no, your punishment is you have to stay with us. Uh, see, it's nice when people so, understand you. Yes, yes. Yeah, but just to be sure, after in the email, I said, thank you for putting up with my snark. And she goes, it's much more, it's much better than sitting through boring meetings, Dennis. <laughs> But because other people are, they laughed after I made a joke at my own expense about my possible soon termination. Right. But you see, I don't know. With Activision, I could have probably just said that and actually meant it in a mean way. Well, yeah, and, and then you could have like, 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 like punched her, and it'd been okay. Punch. <laughs> uh. So, speaking of punches, we had an email in the video game part. I stuck it here at the end, Tony. Perfect. Let's go over it. Okay. This is from Chris Chandler. He likes to email us a lot. Hi, Chris. He wrote in. Yes. Hello, Chris. He asked us to interpret a graph. All right. I'll try and describe it. I'll try and paint a picture because people cannot see a graph on a podcast. That would be impossible. But he he asked us to interpret this graph, and he had a few questions of his own that he embedded in the email. And the questions were, are games truly getting better? Reviewers becoming less critical? 
Are gamers' expectations getting higher? Review bombing more often? I wish they provided other views like median instead of mean and P95 views to filter out the extremes. So here's the graph for people to understand. This is an average of Metacritic data across all consoles from 2000 to 2022. The way it works is there are two line charts that uh, line graphs that Tony and I are looking at. Uh, one is following the average critic score and one is following the average user score. And so for people to kind of get an understanding, start the starting date of 2000, the critic score was under the user score. User score was about a 76 and the critic score was about a 74. Those both dropped as time went by. I'd say the low point seemed to be around 2006 to 2007, where the critic score had fallen to about a 67 and the user score had fallen to about a 70. Uh, Then the critic score started to go way up and the user score continued to dip. They kind of met in 2010 is where the crossover happened, where the, the critic score was at about a 71 and the user score was at about, well, I should say the critic score is a little over 70 and the user score is about a 71. And then after that, it flips where the critic score is always higher every year since then. As of 2020, the critic scores were up to about a 75 and the user scores were down to about a 65, I'd say. So that's what the graph looks like. They both started higher than that where, well, they both started fairly high. The critics dipped down and then have gone up above where they were in terms of average score since 2000, whereas the user scores started way high and now they are at their lowest in the 20 year period. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, what do you think? Do you think review bombing is a big issue as part of it? I don't know if it's a big issue. I know it is an issue. I think the biggest issue here as the fact that the truth of the matter is most of the critic scores at this point don't mean anything. Critics will give a game that is the worst game they've ever played a 60 out of a hundred. I mean, they just, they don't rank low anymore. Uh, There's been multiple articles and stuff talking about how the video game journalism is so different now than it used to be. Uh, the critics aren't the same. They view things differently. They have different interests. Uh, but the big thing is so many of them, they're, they're just straight up bought. Their reviews are bought. Everything's paid for. They get everything. And the user reviews are going so much lower because, A, there's a lot more of people doing it now than there ever used to be. And everybody has very different tastes. So whilst they might like some types of games, they don't like other types of games. And also people are so incredibly rabidly protective of the people that they found online that they do like the influencers and such that an influencer simply saying something minorly negative about a game will make everybody who's never even played that game rank that game terrible because so-and-so hated it. And the opposite. You'll see people do the rank things really high, even if they've never played it, because so-and-so likes it. It's just like what happened where Among Us blew up out of nowhere after having been out for several years was because influencers started playing it online and people, it got super popular. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, and... 
Yeah, there is a review bombing problem. I don't think review bombing is all of this problem, but there is a definite review bombing problem. Uh, I would be much more interested to see this data, like he said, uh, with the P95 views to filter out the extremes, because I think the extremes probably are deeply uh, shifting this. It's hard to believe just naturally anybody, anything where it's a one or a five, like on a five point scale, it's so hard to believe because there's no nuance to it. You either absolutely hate it or absolutely love it. And so often those reviews, when you see them online, there's no comments or anything. It's just a one or a five. Yeah. I, those are some good points. And I hadn't really thought about the role of the influencers. So that that's an interesting aspect. I think the thing I would, I would note, and if anyone digs up this, uh, this chart, uh, I know I, I think I saw it show up in an article somewhere too. I just don't remember where the, um, it's not as shocking as bear in mind that we're, we're zoom. We're not looking at a Y axis set at zero. So we're zoomed in quite a bit. The current spread is 10 percentage points. It's like the critics are are averaging around a, a 75 and the users are averaging around a 65. That's really not that big of a spread on a 100 point scale. Yes, it is much more extreme than it used to be where the spread was like two percentage points back in 2000. But again, when we go back that far, the internet was still really, really young. There were a lot less user scores back then. So there's also... Yeah, you know, maybe you could argue there was less. I mean, console popularity has grown over time because this is noted as being all console data. Uh, so I, I do agree. I don't know how much about the the video game reviews in this day and age on the critic score if they're if they're purchased by the manufacturers or not uh, versus what I just see as sort of a gradeflation style approach that has plagued video games really even back in two thousand. It's just for whatever reason, the way it ended up is we grade on a, a seven out of ten scale, and yes, as as Tony noted, a terrible game is a six, six out of ten or sixty out of a hundred, and that's like it. It's like you can't get lower unless the game is non-functional, and I think it's it's stupid because it the whole bottom part of the percentile graph it has no value, but. They've gone at it like they're giving letter grades and then it's being interpreted on a numeric scale. And it's like you think about the way we do uh, letter grades in school and it's like we don't really talk about 30 percent, 40 percent, 50 percent. Those are all F. So who cares at that point? And it's kind of like that. But when you're sticking it on a numeric chart, there's a reason why we don't show the Y axis at zero because there's nothing down there. It's all empty space. Right. So I think just that. Because that's so prone to happening with critics, and while I don't know necessarily on the monetary side about you know paid reviews per se influencing the Metacritic score, I do think there starts to be considerations about if I'm too hard, especially in some of those middle years, if I'm too hard on them, they're going to embargo me, they're going to not let me have early access, you know, I'm not going to be able to do a review until the consumers can buy the game, and so... There's, there's reasons to, they know the, there's reasons not to, professional reasons to not be too hard on them. The flip side is like what we maybe see with pinball, uh, what you can see in watches to a degree, and probably all sorts of other hobbies uh, where the media people know the people at these companies, they're their friends. Right. Don't want to be too hard on their friends because they got to know these people in the course of doing their job. 
And again, I know people like to joke. I'll, I'll do a pinball reference. People like to joke all the time about straight down the middle when they do uh, pinball reviews, and and I've made fun of it as well. And there's all you know, like Greg Bones always going to give a B plus, and it's like, well. This is really no different than what we see with video games, though. They're always giving high scores to even fairly garbage games. Right. And and that's what it is. They just score everything high. And I think I think you have a very valid point. A lot of it is with the, well, I want to keep my access. I don't want to take the risk. I don't want to risk hurting my uh, chances of getting into some event or getting the next thing or doing the next review or getting a special behind the scenes look at something or another. Cause that's where my money comes from. So anyway, uh, yeah, there's just, uh, there's changes on the stuff. I, yeah, the user scores, I just think yeah, the influencer thing is a very interesting part that I hadn't thought about. There's just a lot more users now though, participating. Uh, so I don't know how much of it is review bombing per se. I most, when you think about the broad spectrum of games, not a lot of them, to my knowledge, face review bombs. Some high-profile ones do. But um, I think some people – some of this might be more backlash, though, against the critics. And they're like, wow, you guys are way too – like, you're giving this game full of bugs a, a huge pass because you like the story. And I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to shave 10 percentage points off of it. You're just going to cut it to pieces. Just cut it, cut just it snip, down. Snip, snip. Well – I think it's probably time for us to cut this episode off because we've covered all our topics, Tony. We have. It's been a wonderfully remote episode this time around. Mm-hmm. So for those I want to reach out to tell us about how great this remote episode was, they can email us at Podcast at gmail.com or go to facebook.com slash Podcast and shoot us a message. And I will talk to everyone in a couple of weeks. And Tony will probably talk to everyone in a couple of weeks. And so... Until next time, my name is Dennis. And that's a growly dog in the background. Bye-bye.